is awesome. Oh, man. I found, did you find yourself kind of doing a little bit of this all of a sudden? Yeah, I did. I don't know. Some of you are like, no, I didn't. Well, first of all, uh, I just want to get started. If you, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we'd love to be able to get you one. If you don't own one, then you can take one with you. But if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. There'll be some people coming down the, the aisles. Uh, they'll put one in your hand. And uh, like I said, if, if you need a Bible, it's a gift from us to you. And so hang on to it. Or if you need a second Bible to go give away, that's great too. We'll, we're, we're thankful for that. But what we've been trying to do, and we started this last week, was to go through uh, God's understanding of marriage. So we kind of launched that off uh, last week. It was so funny, you know, I came home and I'm, I'm with my family and um, my wife, you know, she goes, man, Todd, like just thank you, that was, that was great. And I had some of my other kids there and I was kind of looking over to them and they go, Dad, that was so cringe. <laughs> and I looked back at him and I said, good, that's what your dad's supposed to do to you. He's supposed to make you cringe, but my family, a lot of them aren't able to make it here today, so they won't be able to say that about me. But especially when we're going to talk about our topic today, which is sex. Now, like I said, the difficulty of talking about sex with a, a large group of people is that on one level, it's an important topic that we probably don't rightly talk about enough but on another level, just because of the amount of comedy, sexual innuendo, different things like that, it, it's, so, it's so interesting to me to watch a group of people turn into eighth graders, right? Where it's like, tee But one of my hopes is, is that today, um, I, I do think we're going to laugh, you know, about different things because we do need to laugh. But on another level, um, if I say something because of just all the ways you can load up words in our, in our culture today and around sex... Um, do your best not to mock me and make fun of me. So it's probably going to happen. Um, I'm notorious for that. And so you can just leave and talk about it later and say, did you hear what Todd said? <laughs> so that's where we're going to go. But let me, let me start this way. I think like any culture, eventually we just become incredibly sex-saturated. We're not the first culture to be that way. The United States isn't the first one to come along and say, oh, we're, we're the the culture's as bad as it could be because if you believe that, you don't understand history. Every culture has a tendency to move more and more into it, especially a, a, a satiated way in which we view sex and specifically sex for entertainment. Now let me just say this, on one level, sex for entertainment is grotesque and we're gonna talk about that actually in the coming weeks as we kind of highlight Forever Found. But don't miss this also from the book of Song of Solomon, sex is entertaining. And it's sometimes hard to keep those two realities in, in kind of tension. Now with it though, I think when we have things like TV, music, uh, smart devices, we kind of have access in and permission to areas of sexuality that, man, have just made culture so unhealthy on a lot of levels. Along with that, kind of as you see culture devolve. I don't think it's been something that the church has, has in any way left unscathed. It's a crazy thought to me, but statistics say 60% of people that sit in a church service are battling right now with pornography. So it's just one of those things that it's, it's, it's hit us. Now on one level, we can sit around and go, oh my gosh, it's as bad as it's ever been. What are we going to do? But I think actually God prepares his church for this moment. I think we're supposed to be this beacon of hope. I think we're supposed to be salt and light. 
I think we're supposed to be somebody, a group of people that are just different so that the world starts to see while they have taken sex and made it this selfish, self-serving entertainment, the church gives a completely different picture. Now in this particular passage that, that we're looking at in today, in Matthew 19, what we're gonna be doing is kind of trying to pull out this concept of what does it mean to be one flesh? Now when we talk about one flesh, let's just kind of put it like it is. One flesh has way more to do with, with a relationship between a husband and a wife as we saw last week and its connection in the way that the husband and the wife show off Jesus in the church. So it's not more than, sex isn't more than this one union reality, but it's not less than. It's an important part of it. And one of the things that our church truly does believe in when we talk about marriage is, is that he's designed marriage as a relationship. And you can see this between one man and one woman. And, and it's, it's weird in our culture today, though. We can't just say one man and one woman. We have to say one biological genetic male and one biological genetic female. In which they become, and I love this, this statement, one flesh and commit to one another until death do us part. I, I, was, I was doing a wedding last night and it just meant so much different, it meant so much more to me when I said until death do us part when I'm looking at this young couple. There's something precious about staying in a committed relationship like that and this one flesh relationship, kind of point A, is a relationship of a husband and a wife has been designed by God to reflect the inseparable union of Jesus and his people. And that's what we kind of went into last week. So in some ways, then you're probably sitting there going, well, where does, where does sex kind of play out in this, this reality, Todd? If, it's, if it is just kind of looking at this one flesh, if it means something more to that, then why bring in sex into this? And it's because Jesus emphasized it when we get down to verse nine. He said, you know, there's this, this unique sin that is, again, there's all kinds of sins that we commit, but there's this one that has the capacity to destroy a marriage maybe unlike any other sin. He throws out this word sexually immorality, and we'll go more into it later, and especially next week when Christian starts diving in this, we'll begin to understand it in a greater way, how, how sin has taken this incredible gift from God and sex and has skewed it and, and, and warped it in such a way that we kind of no longer understand what it, what it, what, what it is that God intends it to be. But he's saying to us in one way, it's not less than, but it, it's, or more than, it is, but it's not less than. Sex is important to a relationship. Now the way that I'm gonna go at this is I'm gonna go to 1 Corinthians, and anybody that knows me, they're like, oh my gosh, Todd always goes to 1 Corinthians. It's like, jeez, dude, do you have another book of the Bible? But let me, let me show you why I'm gonna go to 1 Corinthians, and here's what I'm gonna have to do. I'm gonna come into it and I'm gonna take the negative and what I'm gonna do is reverse engineer it and allow you to see the, the, the better, the intent for which God created it. But in 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 18, we can see that in there, that it's speaking to this idea of the two will become one flesh and he connects the idea also of sexual immorality. I want you to flee it, he says. And in many ways, whenever Paul is looking back at, at, at the Gospels, he's generally, I view it, as looking at the book of Matthew. And he's even looking at the book of Matthew right now. And he says, I want to tell you something beyond what Jesus taught. I'm going to tell you more about this idea of what, what marriage is supposed to be and why it is that you need to, to flee sexual immorality. And like I said, that flee idea, uh, Christian's going to go into a lot more next week. But when we get into it, here's the thing I want you to see from this first point. Here's the first one, and everybody get it into your head. Sex is 
a gift. And let me just say to you this way, it's a gift whether you're married and how you're going to steward it, or sex is a gift in how you are not going to express it as well. So we'll, we'll get to that as we keep moving along. But either way, this idea of sex and sexuality is a gift from God. Now, where, now where do I derive that? Well, go to verse 9. In verse 9, Paul says this. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Wow, okay, Lord, we need to understand that more. Don't be deceived. And here's our word. Neither the sexually immoral, and now he's going to put together a list. Paul always puts together lists, and he doesn't mean that it's a comprehensive list. It's just a list kind of explaining more about it. He says, nor idolaters, which seems strange, which we'll come to at the very end, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, which, which could be passive homosexual partners, which could be all, uh, young boys, especially at that particular time, to whatever it might be, to practicing homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Meaning, there is a serious reality that those that have not come to Christ by faith they are these ones who live outside of the kingdom, and this is the natural way in which they're going to go. This is the natural way in which they're going to express themselves. But I started asking myself this question, what's the opposite of this? Because if now we're asking the question then, do you not know that the unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God? What do the unrighteous look like in this particular case? Or the, excuse me, the righteous look like in this case? Well, the righteous will inherit the kingdom of God and the mark of their lives is they will steward the gift of sex well. These people that have inherited the kingdom of God will be worshipers of God, not idolaters. They will commit themselves sexually to their spouse or, or to Christ if they're a single person. They are somebody who's going to live opposite to that because they're going to see sex for what it is, a gift. And later in 1 Corinthians, Paul's actually going to say this sex is a gift. Something precious that God hands to you. Now see, this is what's so hard for me when I look around at so much of the way that our culture expresses sex. It is not a gift that's been granted to me in which then I can give the gift to others. Instead, it's something that in the back of my mind means it is for me. I'm gonna satiate myself with this. And I think this is where Satan has twisted it. Something that was meant to be a gift in which we'll look at it a little bit that has been given to others and it's lost its meaning. It has lost its purpose. It has lost its intent because now when I make sex about me, I don't care if I'm a follower of Jesus or not a follower of Jesus, I have missed the point of sex. It's a gift. And that's what we talk about in our statement that we, we put out for people to kind of let you know this is, this is what we believe you can live by and, and you can follow after Jesus' way. Human sexuality includes sexual attraction, which, by the way, sometimes we get so nervous about sexual attraction. Man, like, it is a God-given reality. And I'm so glad my wife isn't here today so she's not embarrassed so I can go ahead and talk a little bit. I'm not gonna embarrass her, but I remember looking across the room and seeing my wife, and I went, dang, dang. I remember just thinking, that girl looks good. There's no shot for me. I mean, I'm, you know, there's no hope. And then all of a sudden, I remember my good friend, Dewey, who's almost seven feet tall, almost weighed 300 pounds, 
grabbing me by the arm, and at that point in my life, I was about 150 pounds, maybe wet. I mean, I was a scrawny thing. And I remember being pulled across a room, and I remember him going, Lisa, Todd, Todd, Lisa, dance. And he throws us together, and I was like, hello. <laughs> Attraction's not bad, but isn't it, a fa- isn't it one of those things we have to acknowledge? Attraction can be skewed. Desires aren't bad. Desires are God-given. That's part of the gift. These desires, these longings, these passions that we have, those are not wrong. The problem is is that we misuse them, abuse them, we skew them. That's the problem with it. These things, these actions aren't the ones that are wrong. It's when we twist them. They're a gift from God that it talks about in 1 Corinthians 7. It's intended for the pleasure and union of one man, one biological genetic man, and one biological genetic woman within marriage and for the bearing of children. And I remember my grandpa one time said to me, Todd, the best part of having children is making them. Some of you are catching up. It's like, ah, (laughs) I get you. No. It truly is a gift. And so when we look at it, sex is a gift, but it's the thing you can already kind of tell where I'm going. Sex is a gift that can be misused. Now what we mean by that is you go down through that list and you can start to see that every last aspect of it on one end of it can be used in such a way to make much of God, but yet we tend to make much of ourselves. In fact, from the very beginning of the, of the book of Genesis, we find that sex becomes a highlighted reality almost all throughout the book of Genesis. One is in this crazy passage in Genesis 6. Now, a lot of times people, if you don't know anything about this, it's kind of like, well, is this demons that, you know, have sex with with humans? Is this God's people with not God's people? What's going on here? The point for me is not so much that. The point is, is that sex has become so twisted that it models the humanity was beyond saved on some level. Sex just becomes this way in which I, I, I think that you can see this all even throughout history. How a culture views sex is like a, a thermometer, a way of reading what is going on inside of a culture. When you begin to see humanity being used for evil ends for my sexuality, you can know that a culture is in a terrible spot. And so if you're wondering where we are with the United States, look around at how we view sexuality and it will show you. Satan is so crafty in his capacity to take such a wonderful thing and twist it. And so it can be misused. Now off of that, one of the things that we say, and I'm I'm just throwing stuff so you can kind of see our heart for you as as a congregation, is sin has affected every aspect of human sexuality. So it's that all fallen humans experience attractions, desires, and they choose to act on them in ways that are are disordered and contrary to God's good intention. And let me just say this, it's everyone. See, when sin happened to us as humans, it didn't just kind of affect us, it affected us comprehensively. Every last aspect, including our sexuality. 
So not only does it affect all, but let me just make sure that you understand this. It affects you. Every last one of us in here, as much as we try to escape it, we have been in some way become disordered and contrary to God's good intention just for the simple reality that we were born into the human race. Whether your desires and attractions are one that you haven't chosen, and for our brothers and sisters in Christ that battle with same-sex attraction on a regular basis, let me just say this. You didn't choose those desires on one level in many ways. In some ways, it's just part of living in a fallen world. And so on one end, those desires may be something that you didn't want, but let me tell you this. We're gonna get to, while you may not have wanted them, God is redemptive. Maybe there's those of you that are battling porn on a regular basis. Some of that maybe was your choice. You went down a path. You have become skewed and disordered in your understanding of sexuality. But let me just again remind you, God is redemptive. The key that he's talking about here is that it's just any sin, anything outside of just a one flesh relationship between a man and a woman, God's good design we're just all corrupted in many ways. And let me just say this, for those of you that are single that think, yeah, but then I'll be able to get married one day and everything will be beautiful. Puppy dogs, rainbows, ponies, unicorns. Mm -mm. The difficulty is, is that skewed reality we bring right into the next phase of life it can be misused and we're corrupted to the core. But on one end, sex is a gift and it can be used, misused. I want you to also stand, it can be redeemed. Look it down at verse 11. And such were some of you. I love that. When my wife and I were first dating, I'll never forget, we finally had to have the talk about our sexual past and my wife was one who had kind of lived during the purity culture of the 80s and 90s, and she had saved herself, and man, I was just so, so thankful for that. Um, I was the opposite end of the spectrum. And I remember her and I beginning to talk through just that reality of, of what are we gonna do with our, our sexual past? And for her, it was very difficult because she had longed to marry a man with an opposite background of, of me. And if you've ever been the one that is on the opposite background of that one, you just feel so cheap, you feel so dirty, you feel so wrong. I remember sitting down with the college pastor just going, what do I do? I love that woman. But I get why she wouldn't want to marry me. I'm dirty. I'm icky. I've done things that I don't want to drag into a marriage. This is the verse he took it to me. He goes, Todd, I want to read this to you. But Todd, you were washed. Whew, I love that. You made clean. I know you were dirty. But do you understand, because of the work of Jesus and you placing your faith in Jesus, if you're somebody that doesn't know Jesus today and you feel dirty like I felt dirty, just understand this. When Jesus Christ died upon the cross, the beauty of one, one, one of the beautiful accomplishments of the cross is you were made clean. And not just kind of clean, 
all kinds of clean. I sounded very like evangelistic right there. Ah, all kinds of clean. Todd, you were sanctified. Todd, you were set apart. Sure, you don't deserve to be set apart, Todd, because your past is one that is not one to be lauded. But God has set you aside as one who's been washed for a purpose. Todd, you've been justified. You have been this one that has been declared to be clean, righteous. You are inheriting the kingdom of God. So Todd, no matter what Lisa might do, I understand if she doesn't even want to get married to you because he knew my past too. He's like, dang, I know your past too. Don't forget your identity is not found in whether she's your wife or not. Your identity is found as a washed, sanctified, justified child of God. That's who you are, Todd. That's who you are. And then God blinded that woman and I got married to her. And all God's people said amen. <laughs> but the thing that broke for Lisa was when she realized she too was skewed. She too was disordered. She may not have acted on it like I did, but she wasn't clean either apart from the work of Jesus. That's why we also teach through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christians are called and enabled to seek repentance and holiness in their sexuality. I love that. I love that I got to come to Jesus with my past and him not go, sorry, dude. That was pretty bad. Like that was kind of beyond my forgiveness. Instead, I came to Jesus and nothing is beyond his forgiveness. I love the fact that it's now we're given the opportunity to steward sexual attractions, desires, actions, whether we're talking what we do, what we think, in keeping with God's design for human sexuality. So on one level, sex is a gift. It can be misused, but it can also be redeemed. And let me just put it to you this way also. Sex can be controlled. And let me show you what I mean. In verse 12, he says, all things are lawful for me. Now, for some people, they think, I'm going to come to know Jesus, and therefore now I'm forgiven for everything, so I can just go live however I want. In the book of Romans, Paul says, oh, Megan, noi to me, it never be. That's crazy. What in the world are you even thinking? He says in there, not all things are helpful, though. All things are lawful for me, and I love this statement. This is what I want us to get to. I will not be dominated by anything. Tell them I said hi. <laughs> Tell them they've been saved, sanctified, redeemed, set apart. But in this statement, I will not be dominated by anything, says something about us as humans and God's intent for sexuality. See, so many people, I'll never forget this, I was sitting across from this man and this girl, and I was with another pastor, and they were talking about, like, you know, having sex before marriage, and, you know, they were coming, and the girl was so broken, I just wanted to, like, give her a hug and tell her, you know, you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified, and the guy was so arrogant. And I remember him looking across at me, and he sat forward in his chair, and he goes, listen, 
You know, in that moment, when all of my, my emotions and longings and passions just got worked up, we just had to. I said, then you're nothing more than an animal. That's what you are. You're a dog. See, this statement, I will not be dominated by anything, says something about us as humans. We're not animals that can't control ourselves. We are God's chief creation created in his image. And we're not controlled by animal appetites if we're followers of Jesus. We are controlled by the spirit of God. Paul says in there, I will not be dominated by anything. And I think he would include a caveat, except the spirit. See, whenever I work through, especially guys, that's who I work with in and around issues of pornography, man, they've tried everything. I remember one guy, he comes into my office, he goes, man, I just wasted $2,000. And I go, oh, what over? He goes, trying to beat porn. I threw my computer in the tub. I get it. If you've ever battled through sexual temptation before, man, it is brutal. And I took him to Galatians 5, 16, and I said, keep in step with the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Working through something like sexuality, understand this, it has such strong passions and longings and desires within it. Man, we all know that. There are chemical things that happen inside of us whenever we begin to go down this path of sexuality that are so strong and so powerful But to somehow think that we as human beings can't control ourselves is true unless we have the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, I won't be dominated by anything. In fact, you look at this where you go back to like Genesis 4 where God is talking to to Cain at this point. He's like, you don't understand the power of sin. It's desires contrary, but you must rule over it. And Cain couldn't. But let me just tell you this. If you are a follower of King Jesus, if you are one who has the Holy Spirit inside of you, I don't care what the sexual temptation is. There is no power that is greater than the Spirit of God inside of you. And if you're somebody that does not know King Jesus, you do not have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you cannot defeat these passions apart from him. That's the only way. That's what he's talking about. But no, Paul says, what about food is meant for the stomach? Stomach's meant for the food. You know, I'm just, I got these appetites. I got to satisfy them. Food was made to satisfy the cravings in my stomach. And so therefore, I've got this craving for sex. And therefore, sex was meant to, to be satisfied in this kind of a way. And he just says, yeah, but God will destroy both. And I love this statement. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. He turned around their statement. He said, no, no, your body's not for food. Your body's not for sex. If you've come to know Jesus, your body is for the Lord. But understand this, the Lord is for your body. Now, on one level, it's for, meaning we were designed to be in him, but he's also for us in this battle. Look down in verse 14. I think he continues this idea. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his what? Power. And so if you are somebody sitting there today, and I can't, I can't, I don't even know how to say this to you strongly enough, but also just humble and, and caring towards you. 
If you are one who feels like you cannot overcome sexual addiction, the power of, of just this longing to have things that you know are contrary to what God has done within you, you do not have to do this alone. And if you are somebody that is trying to do this alone, that means Satan has you right where he wants you. He wants you to stay private. He wants you to stay back. He wants you to stay in shame and guilt and all those other things. All the while, you're missing the fact that those that come out, those that come to others and ask for help, those that receive the goodness of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, let me just say this. You can deal with these appetites because you are designed to do it. God intended you to be able to do this. So that's that one. God intended sex is a gift. It can be misused. It's a gift that can be redeemed. It's a gift that can be controlled. But let me say this. It can also be a story. Now, what do I mean by that? He says in verse 15, don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? I love that. Don't you know that it's not just your souls? God is after all of you. You are a part of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? At this point, your face should go, oh, no. That's why Paul says again, may it never be. No, never. Don't you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? You take Jesus right along with you. It's written that the two of you will become one flesh. In other words, there's this way through sexuality that you become united, that you have to say, no, I don't want that. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Verse 18, therefore flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. What's the story that it tells? Sexuality done rightly tells a story of Jesus with his people in a longing, connected, intimate way. And I'm not talking gross sex here. I'm talking this way in which now God binds himself to us. Sexuality used for my entertainment, for my evil ends, all it does at the end is it makes much of me. Sexuality done inside of the, the beautiful bonds of marriage and that covenant relationship, I believe what it does is in a powerful way, it causes us to remember again those commitments that we had to one another and the covenant that we had. Last night when I was doing the wedding that I did, I remember looking at Johnny and Noemi and I got to this kind of point of, of helping them to understand. Do you understand these vows that you're taking before God and all these people today? And every time it seems the way that God talks about sex throughout scripture is, is when we come back together as couples and we rightly handle it, and we'll talk about what that means here in just a second, when we rightly handle sexuality, we remember the covenant. It's not dirty. It's not just to have this ecstatic moment. Because the other thing that sex does is, is it bonds you. Not just on a physical level, but on a biochemical level. It causes me to long for and want to nurture the other person in a different way. Paul is saying to this group of people, you're telling a story through that bonding of the incredible bonding that the Jesus has had with us. And again, not publicly. I don't mean that sounds very bizarre the way I just said it. Not publicly, but privately. I can always tell when a couple is healthy sexually because they're just healthy in how they interact. 
He says it was intended to nurture that. So on one end, sex is a gift. It can be misused, but it can be redeemed. It can be controlled. It can tell a story. And I'll never forget the first time I read this from John Piper that sex is worship. I went, ooh. Sex is worship? What does that mean? I'm glad I read the rest of the book, by the way. Now, what does it mean that sex is worship? Well, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he says this, don't you know that your body, look at this, is a temple? I love that. What's a temple? Well, a temple is the place where, whether we're talking the people of God or even temples that were used out there, the people would come to, and in a unique way, they would encounter the living God. Whenever they would come together, the people of Israel, they would come together and they would meet at the temple and they would worship him and they would long for him, do sacrifices together. It would be a way for them to collectively worship God. Now, in this particular context, he was saying, don't you know that this temple of the Holy Spirit that's within you, whom you have from God, whenever you have sex, you come to the temple and when you come to the temple, you worship. That's what your body is. And that's why when he includes idolatry way back in verse 9, I think this is so key. Don't you dare bring wrong things into the temple. If you're a Jewish person, you would never bring pigs into the temple. If you were a Jewish person, you'd never bring the Gohim, the Gentiles, into the temple. You would never bring anything wrong into the temple because that is the place where we encounter the living God, where the blood is poured out amongst the cherubim as an honor to God, but also a begging for forgiveness. That's where we meet God. Why would I ever bring anything in there? It's a place for worship. In this particular context, we have to ask the question, what kind of worship? Like, are you talking we should have, like, worship music playing? Should we get record Dennis in the band? I mean, is that what we're talking about? Is that what we're supposed to do? I mean, that was what was in the back of my mind, because we think worship is always connected to, like, a worship service with music. That's not it. Later on, Paul's going to give us this statement in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 10 where he says whether you eat, whether you drink, whether you sleep, and I would add this, whether you have sex, you do all to the what? Glory of God. Well, how do we do this to the glory of God? Now, this is where it always goes off the rails. I've heard so many talks, you know, where then it's like, well, then we're going to talk to you about human ways in which you can have great sexual encounters. That's not it at all. We're not going to debase ourselves to that. The whole point of Matthew 18, 19, and 20 is that Jesus did not come to be served, but to what? Serve. I think we come in and we worship through sexuality when we worship with the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus that says, I'm not entering into sexuality now with an opportunity to serve myself in any kind of way, to steward sexuality so that I'm the one that enjoys it. Whether or not my spouse does or not, I don't care. But it's the exact opposite. I want to go into sexuality and I want to go into it with the heart of Jesus to steward the gift that God has given me, to have his heart to serve rather than to be served. I'm going to go in and I want to engage within it differently. I want this to be a worship service to God. Now we see this 
Later on in 1 Corinthians 7, the way that Paul kind of works it out, watch this. In verse 2, he says, each man should have his own wife, each woman her own husband. The husband should give his wife her conjugal rights. It kind of sounds like a prison thing, right? It's like, yeah, you're going to get your conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to the husband, which by the way, that was so bizarre in that culture at that time. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And can you imagine if it just ended right there? But that's the way culture was at the time. Women were just prepared to be kind of almost sex slaves for men. They were trained to do what the man wanted to do. Now watch Paul's statement in here. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Oh, that would have... Yeah. I heard women go, come on, amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord, Todd. But this is so crucial. Can you imagine if people viewed sex in this light? I'm going to use it differently. I'm going to use it to honor and dignify the other person. To treat them as they are. The woman that I'm married to is not just anybody. She's a daughter of the king of the universe. When I enter into sexuality, it's not to go in and demand that the daughter of the king of the universe just meet and satiate my selfish ends, but to go into that moment as an opportunity to reflect King Jesus and to worship God, to glorify him by coming into it as a way to saying, my body is not my own, it belongs to you. I am going to practice my God-bought nature by giving myself to you. Every time I ever do a wedding for a couple, whenever we're together, I always say, listen to me. There's all kinds of ways you can start this marriage. How do you want to start? Generally, when I kind of look at the, the woman, generally, again, it's not categorically, but just generally, one of the first things we have to get over is the wedding day, and especially the Barbie dream wedding. Well, I want it to be this, and... I want there to be music at this right time. And could you please move out of the picture so that we can take pictures without you in the background when we're kissing? Because you ain't the best looking guy on the planet. And we just have one a good thing. You know, can you do this? And can, because it needs to be the Barbie dream wedding. Then when we look at our pictures, everybody's able to go, oh, wow, that was the greatest ever on Instagram. Right? That's, that's kind of a good words you have to go through. And I always look at them and say, if you want to start that way, you can. If you want to make much of yourselves, you can but can I give you a different vision? And the guy, generally, when I look at him, he's like, well, you know, I'm thinking about the first night, to be honest. And no, he just gets satiated to him. Can't wait for that first night, can you? Ha, 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 Today's really not about the rest of it. It's only until we get it. It's, just, it's so weird. And even not this last wedding, but a couple weddings ago, I remember coming in, and there's all the guys in there. And they were looking at him going, yeah, you know, let's get this over with so you can, you know, really get to what's important, you know, rah, rah, rah. and they're laughing and playing and teeing. And it was like, again, it was a locker room of junior high boys. Smelt like it too. <laughs> and I was going to pray with the groom before we, we go down the, the aisle and they all left. I grabbed him by his shoulders and I said, what do you want at the end of this? He goes, Todd, I don't want that. 
I looked back at him and I said, don't forget, tonight is not about you. You're going to set a legacy for the rest of your marriage tonight. You're going to go in with that precious blood-bought one, that daughter of the king, who he has entrusted to you to steward, to nurture, to wash her. And you can go in and make it about yourself, and it will just be idolatry. Or you can go in tonight, and you can worship. Because you've chosen not to make it about yourself, but an opportunity to steward the gift for her. What do you want to do? Tears are coming down his face. And all of a sudden, he didn't know what to say. He goes, that one. (laughs) And on the inside, right, you're just going, yes. Sorry, I mean, there's like a lot of you that were sleeping just woke up. Welcome to the service. Yes. And I remember him walking down the aisle. I remember her walking down the aisle. And he looked over at me. And as she's coming down, I, all I always say to him, all the guys all the time, is I go, I told you she looks good. And he winked over at me. He goes, it's not about me. <laughs> yes. Why? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Don't get cheap. Don't settle for pennies when God is offering you so much more. Glorify God with your body. Now in landing this particular message, let me, let me just, let me say this to you. Let me go forward to the very end. I don't even know where it's at. There we are. So often people will come to me and say, how do you talk to your children about sex? Let me just say this. I sometimes think you don't have to teach your children about sex really till much later in life, but you do need to teach them something very important. If you want to teach your children about sex, if you want to teach your children about anything in life, choose, the, choose to teach them what it looks like to serve and not be served. I really think the greatest way to teach your children about sexuality is to teach them servanthood. If they learn servanthood, whether they bring it into how they treat their neighbor, how they engage with other people, they will then bring that into their relationship with their spouse. Teach them just to serve. For those of you in here that are living with shame and guilt, you don't have to. For those of you in here that, that were like me, just feeling the guilt and shame of your past, knowing that God had created you for something so much more than the cheap thrills of just self-satiated sex and has designed you instead to have a gift, again, whether you're single or you're married, we'll talk about that more later, to steward that gift. Jesus Christ died to forgive, to sanctify, to justify, to wash you clean. You will never find cleanness in any other way other than the person of Jesus Christ. And when you come to him, it's a cleanness that is like no other because it is complete. If you're somebody that still feels dirty because you're fighting sin, 
Welcome to the club. One of the things I always tell young people when I'm engaging with them is, is one of the ways you know you're a follower of Jesus is you're still fighting. We're fighting. Man, every day I go into the gym, I know I'm going into a place that is going to need to be fought in. And I'm not talking the weights. I'm talking the lack of clothing. I'm going into those places going, oh, Lord, I'm here to worship you today. I think all my lifts are going to be stuff where I'm staring at the ceiling today. Holy cow, right? Fight. Flee. Man, that's a sin that once it gets its claws in you. Ah. Fight. For those of you who have been wronged, let me talk to you. I know some of you, it's not your fault, but others have wronged you. It wasn't your choice. You were maybe abused as a child sexually or as an adult. Let me look at you and say this. While that was evil and dastardly, Jesus even heals that. He doesn't just heal it. He takes it and refines it and takes what was meant for evil and turns it into good. If you're someone who's been married and you feel you've been violated in this particular way, Jesus forgives. Jesus restores. If you're someone who's single who longs for this, Jesus understands as a single man. He knew the reality of longings and desires and passions, but it did not master him. And he used a life as a celibate man to honor his father in an incredible way. For those that are widowed in here, that long for the man or the woman that you loved and love, never forget your marriage isn't primarily to that one that you lost. Your marriage is to the lamb. You have a forever husband and his name is Jesus. For those of you that don't know Jesus, I can't say this enough. If you have questions about how you can know Christ, we'd love to pray for you. If you're someone that I talked about some things, man, that just drew up some realities in your life, we'd love to pray for you. But for Cornerstone, do not look into our world and go, oh, woe is us. What are we going to do? <gasps> just getting worse and worse every day. Your king sits on the throne. And today and tomorrow and the next day, we have the opportunity to take what the world uses for evil and instead use it in such a way through the power of the Holy Spirit to model to the world that I don't care if it's money, I don't care if it's family, I don't care if it's marriage, I don't care if it's sexuality, I don't care if it's here or there or anywhere in a box with a fox or wherever it might be. Listen to me. Because the Holy Spirit is inside of us, the resurrection power lives, and we can model the greatness of Jesus. And in fact, the darker the world gets, the more light the church exudes. 
So if I hear one more person going, ah, I'm going to hug you, and then I'm going to turn your little frown upside down, and I'm going to remind you who we are. We are children of King Jesus, the great conquering king who has conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered Satan. He is at the right now, right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling over all things. He sent his Holy Spirit, who he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And one day, King Jesus is coming back, and nothing can thwart what he will do to reign and rule over all things forever and ever. Amen. And God's people said... God bless you.